This morning we are looking at Acts chapter 24 and uh, you could come at this passage in different ways but I've decided to look at faith under trial, faith under trial. What, uh, What we're looking at is what faith looks like under trial. James in his letter says, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Psalm 34, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all and her. Uh, All who desire to live a godly life in Christ, Jesus will be persecuted, Paul told Timothy. And Philippians 4, it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Now, not all trials and troubles uh, that we experience come our way because we're believers. Some trials simply come because we live in a fallen world. Troubles that are um, are the experience of all humanity. Um, Job wrote, Man is born to trouble as as sparks fly upward. I'm not sure why sparks fly upward, but man is born to trouble, just as surely as sparks fly upward. But the difference is we believe God's hand is in and over our trials for our good and for God's glory. In this story, the trial that Paul is going through is a literal trial. He's been falsely accused and he's been tried before a fearsome Roman governor, Felix. I've been a witness personally in a couple of criminal trials and once I was in a tribunal making an appeal against a judgment that was against me. Uh, The judgment against me was that I was unfit to hold an accredited bus licence because I'd suffered from vertigo and uh, I had my application rejected and I was applying for a part-time Uh, job as a bus driver and they knocked me back. So I appealed, not knowing that I'd have to go and be um, interrogated by a tribunal, which is just like a courtroom, right? Like what Paul was facing there. I think there were four people there and uh, I had to undergo half an hour of questioning to, to establish whether I had legitimate grounds of appeal. And the way they asked me, I felt quite guilty that I was appealing this decision. And uh, they were very serious about uh, the need for bus drivers not to suffer from vertigo. Uh, and uh, at, the end, at the end of it, the tribunal, I, was, I lost. And I was not happy, I tell you. Uh, I was looking forward to driving this bus. It was with a company that looked after older people, took them elderly people on tours, and uh, you got to relate to the elderly people. Uh, and uh, it was a good job, much better than painting. Uh, So, it was a great opportunity to relate pastorally to these passengers. I I had justified it in my mind that this was spiritual ministry. Uh, But as I left, the female head of the tribunal came out to the foyer with me and she spoke to a very unhappy chappie. And she asked me what other jobs I'd held and I was a bit embarrassed. I said, well, I'm an ordained Baptist pastor but I wasn't keen on returning to ministry. Um, And she told me she was actually a lapsed Baptist. 
And then she said, I think you should go back and be a Baptist pastor. (laughs) That was a humbling word for a pastor suffering burnout who was doing a Jonah running the other way. Especially hard getting it from a backslidden believer. But God can use anyone, can't he? The Lord was in this little trial of mine in a way that I'd not expected. Now Paul here was in a much better state of faith in his trial than I was. In fact, it looks like he breezes through. It's as though he's in control and everyone else is under examination. Did he wrongly presume that this trial would be quickly resolved in his favour? That he'd be on his merry way again preaching the gospel across Europe? I don't think so, because he'd told the Ephesian elders that he was going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonments and afflictions await me. And then later, after violence erupted before his trial in the Sanhedrin, he must have began to feel apprehensive about what was to come. And the And we know that because the Lord came to him in the night, spoke to him, take courage, for as you've testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. So he knows where he's going. So Paul had some idea what lay ahead, and he knew the Lord was in it. And this particular trial would not end in an easy acquittal and release, In fact, years of being in prison, some five years that we know of in Acts, lay before Paul. Many afflictions and imprisonments. Paul is trusting that the Father is over it all. And it's not futile, but rich with eternal purpose as he bears witness to Christ. So in Acts 24, we see what faith looks like under trial. Now, what our particular trials are... um, We may not be going to a court case, but they're real trials. And uh, I believe there's a word for us in this chapter. Paul had already been beaten up by a mob, very nearly flogged by Roman authorities, undergone interrogation by the Jewish council, which became violent, and he was under the threat of death from 40 zealous Jews who vowed to neither eat or drink until they killed Paul. This This is all in the last... 11 days. You'd think Paul would be up there, you know, traumatised. He's taken to Caesarea uh, and there his case will be heard before the Roman governor Felix. And so five days later, the priest Ananias, some Jewish elders and this clever lawyer travel all the way from Jerusalem to Caesarea to prosecute their case against Paul. Tertullus, that's their hired lawyer. Listen to how he talks here. This is... It's exactly what I said. He's buttering him up. Uh, Verse 2. Since through you we enjoy much peace, and since by your foresight, most excellent Felix, reforms are being made for this nation... In every way and everywhere, we accept this with all gratitude. You know how Felix kept peace? Any insurrection, he came down, slaughtered them all, the Jews. That's how he kept peace. But what what Tertullus is saying is, 
Oh, well, you kept peace then. You can do it now. Take out Paul. Easy done. You've got to remember, though, Paul is not only a Jew, he's a Roman citizen. So Felix is going to be very careful how he deals with this. But to detain you no further, I beg you in your kindness to hear us briefly, for we found this man a plague, one who stirs up riots among all the Jews throughout the world and is a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple, but we seized him. By examining yourself, you'll be able to find out from him about everything which we accuse him. So he's buttering Felix up. Um, He causes... um, Who was Felix? Let's just ask that question firstly. Originally born a slave. Uh, brother was a friend of the emperor Claudius and so through personal influence he gained freedom and then through political intrigue he became the first former slave to become a governor of a Roman province. Quite a story. One historian described him as a master of cruelty and lust who exercised the powers of a king with the spirit of a slave. If we think we've had problems with uh, state premiers in Australia, nothing like this guy. He indulged in every licence and excess, thinking that he could do any evil act with impunity. That's Felix. At one point, he ordered a massacre of a 1,000 Jews in Caesarea. Paul had every reason to be terrified. And, you know, what we face sometimes may look impossible. We might get bad news. Um, we might experience a tragedy and we think, how can we possibly get through this? Well, Paul's in a situation here which looks utterly impossible. And Paul knew many times like that. When we know that God's hand is at work in the midst of our trials, it makes a world of difference. Paul knew that whatever trials lay before him, God was in it. That um, story about Brishko in the jungle. Um, later on, some years later, he got captured by guerrilla, uh, communist guerrillas, revolutionaries. He was in, in the jungle for months, out in the open, got tropical diseases, suffered terribly. One night he was in a bleak place and he was awoken by the most beautiful bird call. I've shared this before. And uh, he was hundreds of kilometres away from the tribes that he'd known. As he listened to that bird, he heard that bird sing a hymn that the Motolone Indians had sung. And he thought it was a dream. He woke up and spoke to some of his captors and they said, wasn't that bird amazing through the night? And the hymn was about the resurrection. God can come to us. He can. He's come to me. I'm sure he's come to many of us in our dark times. He came to Paul. Trials often seem unjust and unfair. And it's the injustice in our trial that puts the salt into the wound, isn't it? It increases the pain of whatever trial we're going through. Whatever that injustice... Even, you know, someone gets sick and they're young and you think, how could it be? 
So whether it's cancer or a cruel accident or having your character misrepresented or being conned or abused, whether it's a perceived injustice or a real injustice matters little to the one who's undergoing that pain. For Paul, uh, he's false accusations, totally false, and attack on his character. We found this man a plague. Now, you think a plague, is it a pandemic? No. A plague actually is caused by a little bacterium, and Black Death was one of those. Killed thousands, uh, whereas the pandemic's caused by a virus. But similar thing, plague, pandemic. It's like... It's like um, Calling someone a plague would be like saying this man is like a pandemic. In other words, he causes so much misery and grief. And so the great apostle to the Gentiles is accused of being like a pandemic by a hired lawyer. Mindset, real yeah, well the word is pestilence. That's a paraphrase. Yeah, they're not calling him just a pest though. He's not just a pest why would you want to kill a pest? You know, it's, it's a stronger word than that. Um, and, uh, and they hate him. They want to destroy him. He's stirring up riots. And that was a serious offence in Roman law. Was it true? Was he the cause of the riot at Ephesus? No. Was he the cause of the riot at Jerusalem? No. And all the other charges, not true except he was a ringleader, a leader of the sect they call the Nazarenes, but that was of no concern to Rome. That was a religious issue. Um, he did not profane the temple. He arrived there purified, and that means he did the act of a rite of purification. He was there to worship. Um, his accusers did not find him doing anything anywhere in Jerusalem that might suggest he was causing a riot. So Paul denies the charges completely. And without all the buttering up that the lawyer used. The only thing he confessed to, he says, this I confess, that according to the way, the way was the title of Christians, he worshipped God, the God of their fathers and believed everything. Sorry, according to the way which they called a sect, he worshipped the God of their fathers and believed everything laid down the law and the prophets. In other words, a faithful Jew. He's guilty of that, if anything, right? But he's adamant that they can't prove a thing. They can't prove to Felix any charge that have brought against him. And now Paul doesn't see Christianity as a sect of Judaism. He actually sees Christianity as the fulfilment of Judaism. And the only other thing he acknowledges is that he shares the hope, as Jews do, of the resurrection of both the just and the unjust, except the Sadducees who are Sadducees. So because of such a hope, he takes great pains to keep a clear conscience before God and man. So he believes wholeheartedly he's done nothing wrong to warrant these charges. And uh, it's quite clear his defence is more, uh, much stronger than the case against him. And yet Felix hears all that and does not set him free. And his excuse, he'll wait for more evidence when Claudius, the tribune, arrives. Oh, no, the Roman commander, Lysias. Yeah. And at the end, we discover he, Felix is really waiting, leaving him in prison, hoping that he'll get a bribe from Paul because Paul has mentioned he's given arms and offerings at the temple. He's, he's got means. Even though 
Felix is a rich, powerful ruler. He doesn't need more money, but he's got a lust for more. And he thinks he can get a bribe for Paul from Paul to release him. So he, that's part of the reason why he leaves him there. And he doesn't want to upset the Jews because if he upsets the Jews and that get back to Rome, he might lose his position. So Felix is not a character you'd trust. Um, in his mind, Paul was just a pawn in a larger game of politics and religion. So what can we learn about faith under trial? One of the hardest things to bear is not knowing what will happen, how it will all end up. Trials often appear to have no end. That's often what makes a little trouble a trial because it goes on and on. Paul's left in prison for two years. Um, And at the end, Felix loses his position and uh, Festus is brought into the position of governor and so it's all up in the air. For two years, he's just left there hanging. Um, Two years of arbitrary imprisonment, waiting for a second hearing that never comes. One of the hardest things a prisoner faces is not knowing when their case is to be resolved and I know that from conversations It does their heads in. They're never told. And there's mindless delays, in their opinion, in an unfair legal system. And that intensifies the pain of incarceration. That's what's going on for Paul. But when our trials keep on going year after year and we don't know how it's all resolved, that's a part of the pain of the trial. Paul gives us a wonderful example of how to endure trials without becoming bitter. And uh, part of it is simply accepting that the trial is from God. And uh, that's why Paul, listen to this, he says, this is how he begins his speech, knowing that for many years you've been a judge over this nation, I cheerfully make my defence. I don't know whether I'd be saying cheerfully. Can you see, Paul is taking, going through this trial with, uh, with joy because he knows God is over it and in it. Listen to what uh, 1 Peter says uh, about how we should face uh, difficulties. Um, Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. So he says, rejoice in your trial. Now, Paul puts a balance with that. He talks about being sorrowful yet rejoicing. Sorrowful yet rejoicing. You listen to this poem by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, written out of a German Nazi prison. Listen to this. Who am I? They often tell me I step from my cell's confinement calmly, cheerfully, firmly, like a squire from his country house. Who am I? They often tell me I used to speak to my warders freely and friendly and clearly, as though it were mine to command. Who am I? They also tell me I bore the days of misfortune equably, smilingly, proudly, like one accustomed to win. 
Am I then really that which other men tell of, or am I only what I know myself to be, restless and longing and sick like a bird in a cage, struggling for breath as though hands were compressing my throat, yearning for colours, for flowers, for voices of birds, thirsting for words of kindness, for neighbourliness, neighbourliness, tossing in expectations of great events, powerlessly trembling for friends at an infinite distance, weary and empty at praying, at thinking, at making, faint and ready to say farewell to it all. Who am I, this or the other? Am I one person today and tomorrow another? Am I both at once a hypocrite before others and before myself a contemptible, woe-begone weakling? Or is something within me still like a beaten army fleeing in disorder from victory already achieved? Who am I? They mock me, these lonely questions of mine. Whoever I am, thou knowest, O God, I am thine. Who am I? You know, who are we? One moment we can rejoice in the trial, the next minute we're in despair. Um, Paul said, another place, perplexed, but not despairing. But then in another place he said they were close to despairing of life itself. We're not bulletproof. There'll be moments when we will be crying out in despair. But there are other times when the joy of God will come to us and lift our hearts and show us how to endure and persevere through the trial. And in the midst of it, we will have opportunity to bear witness, as Paul did. And we see it... um, Felix had him in prison... Uh, but he sent for Paul and he heard him speak about faith in Christ. So in the midst of the trial, there was good opportunity. Now I'm amazed that he, Paul, was willing to share the gospel so freely with such a corrupt man and his wife. Um, She was his third wife, just a 20-year-old, beautiful but lustful for power, Unlikely couple, a very messy situation to have any hope that God could turn their lives around. But such was Paul's confidence in the gospel that he would share it with anyone, no matter how unlikely, because he knew what the grace of God could do in a person's life. And uh, many times he shared... He reasoned about righteousness and self-control and coming judgment. So he was not afraid of applying the word of God to their life situation. And we're told that Felix was alarmed to hear such things. Alarmed that there could be a day when he would have to give an account before God for how he lived and how he treated others. And he said, go away for the present. (laughs) That was enough, (laughs) too much. I had a talk with a friend who we, he would never talk to me about Christianity and then one day we were alone together for half an hour and he said, would you tell me about what you believe? And I did for about five minutes and got to the cross, talked about that and he said, that's enough for now. (laughs) And we haven't talked since about the gospel. See, for the present, Felix says, that'll be enough. (laughs) When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. And he did summon him many times. 
but his heart was hardened by then. And he no longer got alarmed. He got used to listening to Paul. And Paul still talked with him. Amazing. But to no avail. Uh, Felix was out for a bribe. That's why he kept on having these conversations. And in one sense, again, there's a trial in that, isn't there? There's a trial in witnessing and then seeing nothing, no good response. The disappointment. What am I here for, you know? For all these talks, this guy is not responding. Paul did not see fruit to every gospel proclamation, and neither do we. Paul's just left in prison. But who's, who's, really, who's really under trial? It's not Paul, it's Felix actually. And it's all those who were accusing him. They're the ones who are being judged. And, uh, and they're the ones who are, who are hearing the grace of God but treating it as a nothing. That's what Felix is doing. Yeah, that's good you believe that, that's your truth. But uh, I'm happy with the way I live. And what did Paul say? Behold, now is the favourable time, not tomorrow, not another time. Now is the day of salvation. Paul lived in that sense that the grace of God is now and he, that's where his faith was. So under any trial, he could persevere and stand firm because he knew that God had wonderfully saved him and eternally so. And so he, he could, as a servant of God, he could suffer with great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labours, sleepless nights, hunger by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, <coughs> by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left, through honour and dishonour, through slander and praise, we're treated as impostors and yet true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. That's where we are. All of us. And these momentary afflictions are preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Isn't that wonderful? Let's pray. Our dear, gracious Father, thank you for Paul's uh, example of faith in the midst of suffering and trial. And if you could make and cause a man like Paul to stand in the face of such trouble over so many years, you can cause us to persevere and stand and be faithful and in the midst of it to bear witness to Christ and to trust you, dear Father, for the result. So bless this word to our hearts, Lord, as you promise, and keep us in all your goodwill. In Jesus' name, amen.